Hey folks, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you've been listening to the Whitfield Report for a while and you're starting to think to yourself, hey, you know what? I could do this podcast thing, but where the hell do I start? Well, folks, I've had a lot of friends ask me that in the last few weeks, and I'm here to tell you all that Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. This means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. You're damn right that's what I'm doing. And what I like about Anchor is that whether you're a novice or an expert, it's incredibly easy to use. They have uh, great tools that you can use to record and edit your podcast if you're a novice just starting out. Or if you're like me and you're an old pro at this, you can bring your own tools and record your audio and then upload the files yourselves. Whichever way you podcast, it's extremely easy to use Anchor, and I highly recommend them. So get started today by going to anchor.fm forward slash start. And I can't wait to hear your podcast, ladies and gentlemen. Now go out there and make some podcasts. And we're live. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Whitfield Report. I am your host, Sam Whitfield, broadcasting live from NGC Studios here in Southern Florida. And I want to thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the show tonight. We've got a big uh, jam-packed show for tonight uh, surrounding free speech topics, and that's going to uh, cover the majority of the show tonight, but then I'm also going to be uh, covering uh, Star Wars and uh, Solo, a, uh, a Star Wars story a little bit in the second half of the show during the uh, pop culture and... Uh, you know, film segment of the program. Uh, it's going to be spoiler-free, though, so if you haven't seen the movie, uh, don't worry. I will be posting a, uh, a spoiler-filled review on uh, Patreon uh, later this week. Uh, so be sure to subscribe to that over there. Um, links for to the Patreon are in the description. Uh, before we begin this show, as always, I want to cover uh, some uh, basic housekeeping things. As always, uh, you can follow me on social media on all of the following platforms. 
Uh, my Twitter is at assemblyman underscore NDC, hashtag Whitfield Report. You can also follow the uh, podcast at Whitfield Report uh, itself. Uh, you can follow me on Gab at Sam Whitfield. You can follow me on Instagram at, assembly, at SamW underscore NGC. Much like my uh, Twitter handle, they're pretty much the same. Uh, TheSamWhitfield.com is my uh, website address. Facebook.com forward slash Whitfield Report. You can listen to the podcasts on uh, Apple Podcasts or really any audio podcasting platform. Uh, which you can find a full list of that um, by going to anchor.fm forward slash Whitfield Report and clicking on any of the uh, podcast apps that we have linked there for the show. There's a whole page of them. Uh, Recently, we got added to this new uh, podcasting app called uh, CastBox, um, which is pretty... Uh, cool. It's it's a really cool app that works uh, extremely well on, well on both uh, iPhone and iOS devices and Android as well. Usually podcast apps uh, only tend to work well on one or the other, uh, but in this case, they work well on uh, both apps, which uh, makes me glad. All right, folks, so, uh, you know, be sure to check those out. And uh, let's begin the show, shall we? Uh, Also, you can comment live um, in the chat if you're watching live on uh, YouTube. Hopefully some of the regulars will pop in here, but uh, so far we don't have, we don't really have anyone um, viewing this so far. But that's uh, fine. Alright, so uh, big topic for tonight, folks, that I wanted to cover. Uh, the, the name of this episode, I've decided to start titling these because, uh, you know, why not? Lots of podcasts seem to be, to be doing them. Uh, the title of this podcast is, Are Some Forms of, of Free Speech um, More Worthwhile? than others. Um, that's, and that's an important question I'm, I'm asking. Um, because within the last week or so, we've really had f- three big issues that revolve around free speech, ladies and gentlemen. Um, one of which I believe is extremely important and that we should pay attention to. Um, the other of which I believe, the other two of which I believe are, you know, not really important issues. Um, and though, and these are uh, free speech related stories are the following. Okay. At the beginning of the week, we had the arrest of uh, Tommy Robinson in the UK, which I'll get to here in a sec, um, which I believe is the important story um, for everyone to pay attention to. That is the critical free speech 
story in my mind. Uh, the other two free speech-related stories, which I think are less important, um, that some conservatives are overreacting about, in my opinion, is uh, the Roseanne story with her getting her show canceled. And then uh, the fact that Samantha B called Ivanka Trump uh, the C-word on her um, television show. show. So I'm going to go um, into all of these one by one. And uh, some of you watching who are conservative, whether you're watching live or watching uh, on demand or listening to the auto podcast later, you may not like what I'm going to say because I do have some uh, criticism sisms for many of uh, my quote-unquote fellow conservatives, some of whom are free speech absolutists, and I'm going to explain why this can be a problem. Alright, so let's begin with Tommy Robinson. So, Tommy Robinson, uh, for those of you who are unfamiliar, and most of the audience uh, by this point, if you know me and you know the, uh, you know, type of conservative I am and the, and the people whose circles I run in, most of you know who Tommy Robinson is. But in case you don't, he is an, he is a, uh, English citizen journalist, uh, slash activist in Great Britain who has basically been speaking out against, uh, the threat of radical Islam uh, in the UK and kind of the, the, uh, mass migration of radical Islam to, uh, the UK and Europe for the last 10 years. Um, he what he got mislabeled, uh, as kind of alt-right, uh, by the media during the, uh, the 2016 election. No doubt in my opinion, uh, that is, that was the globalist, uh, you know, cabal trying to smear him and, you know, villainize him, in my opinion. Uh, but Tommy Robinson has been very outspoken and vocal against the dangers of radical Islam in Europe and in the UK. And as anyone who has followed my work for a long time, I don't, I don't get real passionate or real heated about many topics, um, meaning that, like, I'm, I'm fairly open to hearing, like, other opinions on, you know, a wide variety of topics, but when it comes to radical Islam and whatnot, um, I mean, I've really studied the dangers of, of radical Islam, and I do believe that while there are peaceful Muslims, Islam is not a peaceful religion in, a, in and of itself, um, and it, and it's a dangerous one that we all need to, you know, be cautious of, um, Tommy Robinson was arrested last week, or no, this week, for simply uh, uh, filming and live streaming uh, outside of a court in London where uh, two convicted... uh, leaders of a Muslim rape gang were being, uh, tried and convicted. And I, I think from what I've read, 
the um, they were actually convicted and they were getting sentenced. But he was arrested for just, uh, you know, being there and um, just live streaming and and filming. And, uh, he, and what really makes this story, uh, you know, unbelievable, and this is why it's getting so much press, is not only was he arrested, but then he was sentenced to uh, 13 months in prison within just a few hours, uh, without being able to uh, connect with his attorney, without being able to uh, even really notify his family in, uh, until after the fact. Um, so that is a huge, um, you know, that's a huge problem. Uh, and I hate to say it because I know we have some uh, listeners in the UK and some viewers. Um, and I I love my uh, audience members and viewers across the pond. Uh, but you guys are seriously living in Alan Moore's uh, V for Vendetta, uh, that type of world now. V for Vendetta, kind of that world in my mind is now a reality in Great Britain. Um, you know, the state is literally um, dragging people off uh, for having dissenting opinion. Uh, you know, lots of, many of the uh, police and um, other politicians are, are corrupt. And uh, gangs, in this case, Muslim rape gangs, are free to to roam the streets, so it's not, um, you know, it's not good at all. Um, and this is a huge issue because free speech pretty much in Great Britain uh, is, if it's not already dead, it's close to dying, and uh, we are in a war in Great Britain, in my opinion, um, for, you know, to save... Britain and to save Western civilization in Europe. So that's my analysis of, of the uh, of the situation kind of in a nutshell. Uh, before I started the show, the reason I started in a minute late was because I was uh, porting a clip that pretty much uh, summarized this whole situation from a legal perspective um, in Great Britain. Uh, it's the it's the only one I could find that was like under like 10 minutes long. Uh, so this clip I just found on YouTube like, I don't know, 10 minutes ago before I started the show. And it really explains why Tommy Robinson's, uh, you know, imprisonment is such a problem legally in the UK. Uh, and I know that some of you have comments regarding this, so I'll get, I'll get to those uh, here in a sec. But here's basically an explanation of uh, why Tommy Robinson's uh, legal problems are so, uh, you know, why this is such an important topic. Uh, clip number one, go. Are you, are you going to arrest me? 
My colleagues are going to explain what's going to happen next, right? Being arrested. There's currently hundreds of hours of commentary on the Tommy Robinson arrest on YouTube, but very little in the way of legal analysis. So I thought I'd throw my match Hedsworth onto this forest fire. First thing I did when I heard about his arrest was to see if any lawyers had spoken about it. This led me to this piece written by someone called The Secret Barrister, who often loans his opinions out to newspapers, although the only advocacy he seems to engage in is fighting handbag wars on Twitter. The article itself is drenched in left-wing bias, dismissing Robinson and his supporters as knuckle-draggers, racists and a clan meeting. Obvious hypocrisy from someone who earns a respectable living from representing the very type of people he clearly despises. All the more reason, I suppose, for his anonymity, lest any of his future clients discover what a resentful snob he really is. But among all this virtue signalling, he scrapes together a reasonable assessment of the law, except for where he allows his reason to be overcome by his hatred for all things Tommy Robinson. To start out, he describes the police arrest for breach of the peace as being without fault. Robinson proactively filming defendants and streaming on Facebook for the edification of his cult is the kind of thing which could, it might be argued, lead to a breach of the peace. Yeah, it might if you argued with a brick wall or some snide barrister who's willing to abandon a few centuries worth of case law just to satisfy his own prejudice. No matter how far you want to reinvent that ancient law, what Robinson did fell far short of breaching the peace, or rather, suspicion of breaching the peace, to put it more accurately, because even the police officer that was probably acting on orders from GCHQ couldn't bring himself to properly say what he knew not to be true. Do you understand what I just said? Can you explain it again? Do you understand suspicion of breach of the peace? The arrest itself was unlawful and was misused as a holding charge until the police and the court had time to consider whether or not a contempt of court had taken place. But the secret barrister is right to say it made no difference to the contempt of court charge. This is because, contrary to what Tommy seemed to believe at the time, there was a court order in place forbidding all immediate press coverage of the proceedings, known as a postponement order. It didn't matter how respectfully or reservedly he covered the event, the fact that he was live-streaming the defendants going in and out of the court was enough for a judge to find him in contempt of that order. But what about the summary proceedings themselves? Was that lawful? Well, in the case of contempt, a summary trial without a judge, heard by that same judge that may have experienced the contempt, is due process under the Contempt of Court Act. No matter how unjust it seems, it is the law. Not that it matters much because there wasn't a trial because Robinson pled guilty. And had he not, he could have appealed any subsequent conviction. But then there were complaints that Robinson had been denied access to a lawyer, or at least forced to take a prosecution lawyer rather than a defence lawyer. To this, the secret barrister remarked, he was advised and represented by a specialist criminal barrister with over 16 years of experience of cases. As an independent barrister, he prosecutes as well as defends, most of us do. In other words, Yaxley Lennon had a top-notch defence barrister fighting his corner. Well, if the secret barrister is the measure of independence and impartiality of defence lawyers in the criminal justice system, then Tommy Robinson got a worse deal than people thought. Those that are opposed to Robinson believed he got justice. He didn't. He got the law. Both barrels of it. I understand that Robinson was still within the boundaries of an earlier suspended sentence when he committed this further contempt, but was a 13-month sentence justice seen to be done? Incarcerating him is a much more severe penalty than if it had just been a normal journalist that had broken the same law, because Robinson is a human bullseye in prison, where many of those he's actively demonstrated against are being held. How is it that a judge in one case can use his discretion to suspend the sentence of a Muslim male who raped a 13-year-old girl because 
sending him to jail might cause him more damage than good. But Tommy Robinson is not worthy of the same consideration, and to my knowledge, he hasn't raped anyone. But he is at significantly greater risk of harm in jail than most rapists. It's this inconsistent approach to justice that has got so many people riled. I do reserve some criticism for Robinson, however, because he certainly had a hand in his own downfall. I would have thought his freedom was worth much more than the need to cover this one trial. If not, couldn't he have at least mitigated the risk he was taking by seeking instructions from a solicitor as to what or would not constitute contempt? He has used lawyers with some success in the past. In fact, there's many instances in his live stream where he seems uncertain himself as to whether or not what he's doing could be in contempt, and he's also unsure of where the boundary of the court begins. At certain points, he takes the thoroughly reckless step of asking police officers for advice. Officer, are they are these stairs... The, so if... You're not allowed to go on those stairs, am I? Whilst recording. This isn't the property of the court, though, is it? No, it's this. OK, so I'll stay off then. You'd have thought by now Robinson would have learned to disregard the police for the lying state Autobots that they really are. However, what puzzles me is if the police and the judge were so concerned about Robinson's live streaming interfering with the course of justice then why did they allow it to continue for over an hour before they did anything about it? After all, he was live streaming in full view of police officers and court officials right at the courthouse steps. At one point, he comments on the judge looking down at him from his chambers. I mean, it should have been plainly obvious from the first few minutes of his streaming that Robinson was in contempt of court, so why the delay? The judge certainly considered the length of the live stream as an aggravating factor, so to paranoid minds could almost seem as if they wanted Robinson to further the contempt so they could further the sentence. The vagaries of the law aside, smug commentators like the secret barrister who hide behind the cowardice of anonymity can consider it a fate accompli and ridicule Robinson, his legion of followers and their beliefs, as nothing more than the crude ideals of football thugs and racists. But it doesn't take a thug to know that these men on trial are child-raping animals and that shifting the focus away from the perpetrators and onto those that rightly hate them will in no way diminish the culpability of these poisonous invaders and their left-wing enablers. And it's a sad fact that the very justice that failed the children that were raped by these savages never seems to foul the elite who would use that same justice to make an example of anyone who deviates from the state narrative. Sending Robinson to prison is a virtual death sentence for the man. But then maybe that's just what the establishment wants. To sneak in the death penalty through the back door and rid themselves of him once and for all. That is a, a fancy, uh, you know, legal ex explanation for, uh, you know, kind of the intricacies of what the establishment is trying to claim with Robinson's, um, you know, violation and contempt of court, so to speak, uh, versus the reality. Now, I, I do agree with the sentiment that, you know, Tommy Robinson had gotten arrested before, and he could have been a bit more careful um, with maybe how he proceeded about... Uh, you know, going to film this place, like, maybe he, maybe he could have sent, like, an emissary from his organization, or, you know, one of his friends, I'm not sure if he, if he has, like, a journalism team, like, uh, 
you know, I know that James O'Keefe does here. I, I'm not making comparisons between James O'Keefe and Tommy Robinson directly, but I'm I'm just saying, you know, if he has a journalism type team, um, you know, like James O'Keefe does over there, um, I'm, you know, I long story short, I do think he could have, um, you know, maybe maybe been a bit more careful, um, but you know. He's in the situation he's in right now. Okay, so to me, that's the most important free speech issue of the week because um, of the fact that, as I explained at the very beginning of the program, uh, Islamization of the West is a huge, huge threat to us all. Uh, not just in terms of free speech, but in terms of our actual, you know, lives. A lot of these radical Islam- Islamists uh, want to kill us all and rape our women uh, and basically, you know, breed and uh, declare a caliphate. Ultimately, that's that's their ultimate end goal. So... You know, this whole thing with Robinson being arrested and really anyone who is trying to expose, you know, radical Islam in the re- in the West for what it is, I would say that those are the penultimate free speech, uh, you know, concerns of our time and one that we should take uh, very seriously. Okay, so now that I have that set up, let's go to the Let's go to the two less important uh, free speech issues of the week, starting with the fact that Roseanne Barr uh, got her show canceled on ABC um, this week. Now, um, a few months ago, if you may recall, I played the clip on this show of uh, Roseanne Barr criticizing uh, Jimmy Kimmel on his show and basically, you know, slamming him for uh, being a piece of crap and slamming all Trump supporters. And I, like, I like many other conservatives, uh, applauded Roseanne at the time uh, for doing that. Um, I think it, I think it was helpful in, indeed. However, that doesn't necessarily mean that I was head and heels, over, head over heels, uh, love, in love with Roseanne. And I, I, to be honest, I never watched the show. I never really cared, uh, to watch Roseanne, either the original series back in the 90s or, you know, this most recent reboot, uh, I don't know, we don't actually have cable TV, we just have like a Netflix subscription and do everything digitally, so I can't really watch, you know, cable TV anyway, um, you know, except if I'm, if I go to like a, a relative or a friend's house or, you know, something else, and I, I, I don't really care to. Um, but that aside, there were some, there were some conservatives 
not all conservatives who were saying that the cancellation of her show, and let me just back up and, and say she made a uh, she made like a racist uh, tweet basically, uh, implying that uh, J- that Valerie Jarrett, who works so for Obama, uh, basically he she compared. Roseanne compared Valerie Jarrett to one of the characters from Planet of the, the Apes. Um, you know, which, while I don't, while I don't like Valerie Jarrett and while I don't like Obama, uh, you know, okay, that tweet that, uh, Roseanne made was pretty much stupid and, uh, everyone knows it's stupid, uh, for the most part. Those, those trying to def- to defend our minority, um, in terms of the statement over, overall, um, some conservatives are saying that the fact that ABC canceled her show is pretty much the same. What they're trying to do is compare the cancellation of uh, Rose Ann's show. Uh, to Tommy Robinson being arrested. And no, no, that that's just, that's ludicrous. I've heard a lot of conservatives, well, not a lot, but I've, I've heard a lot of prominent conservative uh, bloggers, at least kind of in the free speech, um, you know, absolutism realm, uh, you know, make those two comparisons, and it's simply not true, in my opinion. Um, for one, like I said, Tommy Robinson is literally trying to defend the uh, the West from radical Islamic terror, and Roseanne is a comedian who, for the most part, was a big lefty for the majority of her life, and then, you know, this past election, uh, turned around and voted for Trump. So, I wouldn't, and I wouldn't even call her, like, a big champion for the right either, but to to compare those two, uh, you know, things with, with each other, um, it really bothers, it really bothers the hell out of me, to be, to be honest. Um, just because, like I said, one is an important issue, and, you know, one is a nonsensical TV TV show, and the fact that, well, not all of conservatives are saying this, a surprising of conservatives are, you know, trying to compare the two is, uh, stupid. They're not equal free speech issues, in my opinion. So, going back to the title of, of the show, uh, are, free, are all free speech, you know, um, issues equal? I would have to say that the answer to that is um, a big fat no. And the free speech absolutists out there... Uh, <clears throat> oh, Benjamin... Uh, will say that they are um, because you know if if you can silence 
if ABC can silence, if leftist ABC can silence a TV show, um, then they can obviously, then somehow that correlates to, you know, obviously uh, the legal system in Britain can also silence Tommy Robinson. So therefore somehow the two are, you know, equal and we should defend all free speech and also... Uh, you know, comedians should be allowed to also say the N-word on their daily YouTube streams and make, uh, you know, disability epithets uh, on their Facebook posts, too, and it's all in the same realm of free speech. That's what the free speech absolutists are saying, that all forms of, of free speech are equal, and I'm, I'm here to tell you that while I agree that all forms of free speech should be protected... I do agree with that under the Constitution. Uh, that's certainly, you know, not to say that all free speech issues, uh, you know, should be given equal attention. Um, like I said, uh, just to illustrate the... Uh, and, you know, for, for those who are... Um, for those who were saying that the Roseanne thing was a big free speech issue, Ben Shapiro laid out at the beginning of, of his show uh, on Thursday why ABC is well within their right to cancel Roseanne. Uh, so I'm going to play this clip. I'm not going to play the entire thing, but uh, Shapiro explains why the Roseanne thing is ridiculous as a free speech issue, quote-unquote, in the first five minutes of Thursday's show. Um, I think it's pretty well done, so I'm going to play that clip, too, and then dissect that. Uh, clip number two, go. I'm not going to say I told you so. I'm not going to say I warned you. I'm not going to say that I was the voice calling out in the wilderness, Roseanne is not a conservative, don't trust her, don't follow her, no, don't come back, stop. I won't say that I said any of those things. I said all of those things, okay? I told you. Hey, Roseanne's a crazy person. Roseanne's been a crazy person for years. She ran with Cindy Sheehan on, on one of these indie party nomination tickets. She took a picture of herself with a Hitler mustache, putting little cookies in the oven that were supposed to be Jews. Okay, Roseanne is a crazy person. She's been a crazy person for a long time. And just because she's a crazy person who happens to like Trump a lot more than some other crazy people, that does not mean that she was ever an ally of conservatives. Well, she demonstrated why it is bad to embrace volatile celebrities who happen to be crazy just yesterday when she decided it would be a great idea to start tweeting about Valerie Jarrett in the most insane possible way. So here is what she tweeted about Valerie Jarrett. Valerie Jarrett, of course, was the kind of unsung chief of staff to Barack Obama. I am not a Valerie Jarrett fan. I think Valerie Jarrett is an awful person. But Valerie Jarrett is also not what Roseanne says she is here. Okay, so Roseanne says Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes had a baby equals Valerie Jarrett. Okay, so number one, that's disgusting. That's horrifying. You shouldn't be calling black people apes. I mean, I, I thought there's basically like one rule in the media that you cannot violate if you wish to survive. And Roseanne Barr took that landmine and jumped on it with both feet. And then just in case it didn't go off, she jumped on it again with both feet. So she says 
She, she compares Valerie Jarrett to an ape, which is just disgusting and horrifying, especially given the long history in this country of comparing black people to, to apes, which is just awful and horrifying in every possible way. And then Roseanne's show is dropped. So she tweets this, and then her show dies, right? So ABC pulls her show. It was the number one sitcom on television, so they presumably lost some money on this thing. But it wasn't like ABC didn't know that Roseanne was a crazy person when they hired her. They knew the risks involved when they hired her. They bought the ticket. They took the ride. And Roseanne provided them that ride. We'll talk in a second about when it is appropriate for corporations to crack down on so-called free speech. I say so-called because free speech issues are really only implicated when the government is involved. If the government cracks down on your free speech, like Tommy Robinson in the UK, as we discussed yesterday, that's a free speech issue. But when it's a, a private corporation taking a measure to protect its own products, I'm not quite sure it's the same thing. In fact, I'm sure it's not the same thing. In any case, Roseanne tweets this thing out. Her career is over. She's toast. Goodbye to Roseanne. And frankly, from my perspective, a little bit good riddance. And I understand a lot of conservatives were very happy that Roseanne's show did not treat Trump supporters as evil, nasty, terrible people. The problem is that what Roseanne did just allowed the left to treat all Trump supporters as evil, nasty, terrible people. Chris Hayes, for example, over on MSNBC, he tweeted this out, this 15. He, he... Okay, I want to stop the clip right there for a sec because, uh, you know, basically what Shapiro just said is basically one of the big problems uh, with the whole Roseanne controversy, right? For years, conservatives have had to fight off the stereotype that were inherently racist, right? That's a that's a uh, a false stereotype that the left has, um, you know, forced upon us for the last 30 years. Um, and that's, you know, amusing, especially when you consider that it was JFK, well, not JFK, JFK actually was conservative by today's standards, but um, LBJ, uh, his successor, who, who in my opinion really was a hardcore leftist, and uh, even said in the, in the 60s, in 50 years, we'll have all these uh, N-words uh, we'll have, you know, we'll have all of these niggers, uh, voting for us. That, okay, that was, that was LBJ. And the left has tried to whitewash that, uh, pardon the pun, and say, oh, well, you know, LBJ never actually said that. No, he, he did say that. Um, which is, you know, I, so... The left is actually the ones who are really racist. Um, but then, because the left can, has controlled the mainstream media for 30, you know, years, they were able to shift that stereotype on to us for some weird reason. So we had to fight that stereotype for, like, a very long time. Um, and I would say within the last five years, really, we've started to prove that that's not true. We have uh, Lair Elder. We have Ben Carson. We have uh, Candace Owens, uh, who, who, by the way, um, I recommend anyone, anyone who really doesn't know what she's about should uh, check out her uh, podcast that she did with uh, Joe Rogan. It's, it's very well done. Uh, but anyway, that aside, 
the conservative movement has really done a lot within in the past five years to really dispel the myth of, you know, conservative racism or, or whatever. We, we've done a pretty good job overall within my involvement, within the time I've been involved within the last five to ten years of really dispelling that crazy, crazy myth. And we were so close to getting rid of that, you know, myth that all conservatives are racist until Roseanne, you know, went and said, you know, this crazy stuff about about Valerie Jarrett. Um, and then she claimed that she was on Ambien, um, you know, and that the Ambien made her racist, which, uh, you know, I will admit that the Ambien Twitter account, like, had a pretty... Uh, you know, funny reply to that, which is that Ambien makes you sleepy, uh, you know, and it has side effects, but racism is not one of them. Um, I do think Roseanne Barr feels bad, uh, and she does feel her remorse, um, but I think ABC was well within their rights to, uh, get rid of her and, you know, fire her from her show. And, um, I also think that anyone on the conservative movement really trying to defend, um, you know, Roseanne's, uh, statement and trying to compare her somehow to, uh, Tommy Robinson, and like I said, those two are completely, are two completely di different topics. Um, so, uh, I just wanted to play one more segment from this clip of Shapiro where he explains why, uh, ABC is well within the rights to fire, uh, Roseanne. Because, uh, I, I think this is something that a lot of conservatives are unfortunately, uh, missing. Uh, when talking about this issue. So, uh, clip number one, cut number two, go. Now, quote, Roseanne's problem turned out to be that she far too authentically represented the actual worldview of a significant chunk of the Trump base. Now, he has no basis for saying this. He has no basis for saying that a significant chunk of President Trump's base thinks that black people are apes or that Valerie Jarrett is a mashup of the Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes. He has no data to support this. But it doesn't matter. Roseanne just provided a crowbar for the left to whack people with, which is really just a wonderful thing to do. And the left jumped on it with alacrity. So Valerie Jarrett, of course, responded, and she responded by ripping into President Trump and talking about everyday racism in America. I do have to point out that this clip from MSNBC is ex extraordinary for a couple of reasons. One, I just want you to look at this panel. Okay, look at this panel. So you got Chris Hayes, right, who's the, who's the guy sitting right there who just said that Trump's base supports this kind of stuff. And then next to him, you have Joy Reid. Okay, Joy Reid is a person who just a couple of weeks ago nearly lost her job because it turns out that she'd written a bunch of posts that were deemed homophobic and offensive and anti-Semitic and all this stuff. And she claimed that she didn't write them. And then she claimed that she had amnesia and she claimed that she was hacked. Okay, and Joy Reid is still sitting on the set now talking about the stuff that Roseanne tweeted. So just to be straight here, Roseanne tweets something, loses her job. Joy Reid tweets stuff that's really gross not only maintains her job, but gets to sit on set with Valerie Jarrett discussing the evils of Twitter racism. So there's that. And then sitting next to Valerie Jarrett on the other side is Al Sharpton. 
Al Sharpton, the leading race baiter of the last 40 years in the United States, a man who suggested that Jews in New York City were white interlopers, a guy who suggested that they were diamond merchants, a guy who nearly initiated a riot, maybe initiated a riot in Crown Heights in 1991 that ended in the death of an Orthodox Jew. He said about Orthodox Jews, there's an Orthodox Jew who accidentally hit a black kid with his car, and Al Sharpton said, if they want to fight, why don't they pin on their yarmulkes and come on over to my house? Al Sharpton, that piece of dreck, okay, he's a bad guy, Al Sharpton, that guy is sitting there talking about the evils of Roseanne. So I do have to point out the media's double standard here. Roseanne should have lost her job for reasons that I will explain in just a second. First of all, it really should require no explanation. That, that statement, for a public figure, you lose your job. End of story. But the media, to, to, to refrain from pointing out the double standard when Joy Reid, who tweeted out a bunch of other gross stuff, and Al Sharpton, who is one of the worst race baiters in the history of the United States, at least in modern American history, to have those two people commenting on it with Valerie Jarrett, who was targeted by Roseanne, but also happened to be a member of an administration that was very happy to polarize along the basis of race, it provides a little bit of irony sitting there alongside Chris Hayes, who says that all Trump supporters are basically Roseanne. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, here's Valerie Jarrett commenting on the situation. Well, first of all, I think we have to turn it into a teaching moment. I'm fine. I'm worried about all the people out there who don't have a circle of friends and followers who come right to their defense. The person who's walking down the street minding their own business and they see somebody cling to their purse or want to cross the street. Or every black parent I know who has a boy who has to sit down and have a conversation, the talk, as we call it. And those, as you say, those ordinary um, examples of racism that happen every single day. Okay, so now we get this routine where everybody is Roseanne, where America is replete with Roseannes, where people in their back room are tweeting out crazy stuff like Roseanne. Roseanne is a crazy person. Roseanne tweeted out that she was on Ambien, and that's why she tweeted this out, which prompted Ambien in pretty hilarious fashion to tweet back, one of our side effects does not include racism. <laughs> so, <laughs> good for Ambien. <laughs> and it's true. Whenever I saw those Ambien commercials, I never saw the, that butterfly with the KKK hood on it. That, that was just, I, I, never, I never picked up on that. But Valerie Jarrett suggesting that we are all Roseanne is the stupidest thing in the world. Roseanne did something bad. And you know what the effect was? She lost her job. She lost a multi-million dollar job as the top sitcom performer in the United States. And Valerie Jarrett is saying this, this somehow impugns the entire United States. Somehow this is everyday racism in America. Hey, it's not everyday racism in America, because if it were everyday racism in America, Roseanne wouldn't have lost her job. I'm kind of getting sick of this routine where we smear the entire American public and all Trump supporters with the brush of Roseanne Barr. Hey, then Joy Reid comments on Roseanne. So that's the, that's the second segment I want to play now. What Shapiro says is absolutely true. Everything is true that he just said. And yes, Lud Ludwig made a uh, comment in the uh, chat here. That he, he finds it ironic that a never-Trumper like uh, Ben Shapiro is coming around to defending uh, Trump supporter supporters. And uh, listen, brother, I uh, I completely agree with with you. Uh, although, you know, I, I, I like Shapiro... Uh, even though I disagreed with him a lot during the 2016 election, you know, for for God's sakes, I'm pretty much uh, probably most famous for uh, interviewing him on my show, on my old uh, show, The Whitfield Analysis, when I was, uh, you know, 17 uh, as a senior in high school, uh, before he was really well well known. Uh, I know I know that because whenever. Whenever John Neary uh, talks about me, 
Uh, Nira goes, yeah, Sam's the guy who uh, interviewed uh, Ben Shapiro at 17, and that that's pretty cool, which, uh, you know, it is. Uh, I won't deny that. I, I really wanted to uh, interview Andrew Breitbart, um, because Breitbart was really, uh, my, my hero and, you know, still kind of is, even though he's, he's passed on. But, uh, anyway, yeah, everything Shapiro basically said is, is true. What bothers me about the whole Roseanne thing is it gives the left legitimate ammo to go after us, right? The, the left is going to make up stuff to say that con- conservatives are all racist and all bigots anyway, right? They say that on a daily basis, and we all, you know, we're all pretty used to it. But when Roseanne says uh, something like, uh, you know, tweets something like, well, Velager is, you know, a cross between the Muslim Brotherhood and Planet of the Apes, that's a case of legitimate ammo. Same thing, uh, I talked a little bit about this last week with my guest, uh, um, Ryan. But for those of you who have been following me on Twitter, uh, I got into a spat. I was, I was formerly part of Owen Benjamin's cult, uh, known as the Unbearables. And, uh, the, you know, the whole joke is, that they're that they're not a cult. That that that's you know kind of their tagline. And, you know it it is a cult. Uh, one of Owen Benjamin's bits that he does in his stream is something called uh, he he wrote a song, a really stupid song, uh, in my opinion, called "That Nigger Stole My Bike," uh, which basically, from my understanding. He he took the melody from Mike Tyson's Punch-Out theme and basically, um, you know, put in That Nigger Stole My Bike as part of the, the lyrics. The premise of the joke, as he explains it, is basically that, like, his whole thing is that the word nigger is... Uh, out is like outdated and that people shouldn't be offended by it um, because it's like a word from the 1800s and like that that words like that don't have power and that people shouldn't be offended by that uh, that's one of his whole things so somehow you know he thinks that like writing a song about it will convince people even when even when I was a fan of his, I didn't really get that. Um, but here's the problem: taken out of context, if you're just watching one of his streams casually, and he starts, you know, to sing that song, taken out of context, it just sounds like he's saying racist stuff for the sake of saying racist and extreme stuff because he can, because freedom of speech. He's also recently done this whole thing of saying the N-word 50 times, you know, in his stream, uh, you know, shouting nigger, 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 nigger uh, on his stream and then saying, oh, free speech. And, uh, you know, 
to me, that's not really productive. Okay. Same thing with when he was making the uh, the disability jokes. Uh, not really been jokes, but more like bad third grade puns. Okay. Anyone outside of the unbearables. Basically, everyone who I've talked to outside of uh, Owen's uh, cult who have tried coming after me have all said that those remarks that he made towards that disabled comedian, uh, Joe Urell, who, by the way, is is a liberal and who I disagree with very much uh, politically on, but Joe should not have been atta- attacked by that, and that that's exactly what Owen did. So this is the whole problem with with people like Roseanne Barr and like Owen Benjamin and like some others representing the conservative movement and the free speech movement. Do they have the right to say what they're doing? Do, do they have the right to say what they're saying under, under the Constitution? Yes, absolutely they do. But... Um, should they be saying what they're saying? No, they they shouldn't. Not nece- not necessarily. See, the, the left is going to try and censor speech. Anyway, right now what they're trying to do is they're trying to censor the free speech of Tommy Robinson and uh, Milo and Candace Owens and Kanye West too. Who are? I'll explain Kanye West here in a sec. But they're trying to uh, basically censor intellectual conservatives like Dave Rubin and like Jordan Peterson and Prager and you know people like myself who are all trying to change people's minds and spread ideas. They're trying and they're trying to conflate to conflate those, uh, you know thought, uh, you know, deep thinkers with the, with the likes of, you know, people who just want to shout, uh, racial epithets on streams, you know, and tweet out racial remarks. They're trying to conflate the two as one whole big thing so that the left can, can eventually get rid of free speech as a whole. So that's why I'm saying that well, everyone has the right to free speech. Some free, some free speech is in fact more valuable, is more valuable than others. Now, some people who are saying, "Well, Sam, you're crapping on Roseanne. Why then, two weeks ago or or three weeks ago, were you praising Kanye West?" Well, I'll tell you why, why too. And again, uh, go check out. Uh, Joe Rogan's interview with Candace Owens. I uh, I couldn't find a clip. I couldn't find that specific clip to play on the show. Otherwise, I would. Uh, but at at one point in the uh, interview between Rogan and Candace Owens, Candace Owens actually explains why Kanye West is so important um, to the you know to the free speech and to the liberty movement. Right now, and it's because Kanye West, through his music, you know, through that song that he wrote, which I analyzed the lyrics a few weeks ago, he's basically saying that not all uh, blacks 
have to be Democrats. That maybe the uh, the welfare state among the poor black community, maybe that's not such a good idea. Maybe that's that's the reason why black Americans are failing. And, you know, he's, he was also saying that maybe the hip-hop culture of, you know, gangbanging and those drugs, sex, and murder, maybe that's just... Maybe that's destroying the black culture as well. Um, so, you know, Kanye's message is is actually waking, you know, black Americans up to the idea that there is another side. Now, now is he a full-blown conservative? I'm not sure. And I, I'm, I'm still holding my, you know, I, make no mistake. Well, I do like what he's been doing so far. I, you know, I'm still holding uh, reserved judgment for him, just in case, you know, he, d- he does decide to flip. Um, but I think, I think he is a much more, you know, significant player uh, for free speech as opposed to someone like Roseanne Barr, who was just, you know, who was just doing a sitcom about Trump supporters. And, uh, you know, and then tweeted out that racial epithet. Or, you know, Owen Benjamin, who, you know, likes to scream racial epithets on a stream and then say, free speech, free speech, free speech. Yeah, and the, and also the fact is, uh, Opener, too, who, uh, honestly, I, I'm not even going to give his Opener any, uh, credit, but long story short... Yeah, this Owen's opener is racist too and sexist, and even though ironically he's also black, but that's all I'm going to say on that. Uh, point being, not all forms of free speech are equal, um, in my eyes in terms of ideas. By all means, they should be protected under the Constitution, under legal, but that doesn't mean they're all that valuable in terms of, you know, that they should be able to be shared on the public stage. So, and, and we've, we've got to be, we've got to be very diligent here, folks, because for the first time in you know, 20 years almost, conservatives have the upper hand in terms of free speech. People are finally starting to come over to our side of thinking. We finally have some some wiggle room to actually do some real good and to actually spread real effective positive, positive change. But so long as we have some individuals who are you know, regressing back to saying, uh, you know, racist or, you know, otherwise, uh, you know, just stupid BS for the sake of being able to say stupid BS under the banister of free speech, we're not going to get anywhere, okay? And I'm sorry, but just look at the reality and you'll find that that's true. And of course, if anyone wants to, uh, you know, disagree with me or try and lambast me, you can do so by following me on Twitter. Uh, but, and by all means, if anyone wants to come on and have like a serious free speech debate, um, 
you know, get in contact with me and let's, if, if Owen Benjamin wants to, to debate me, if, if Roseanne Barr wants to debate me on this, you know, tweet me or have one of your people contact my people, um, and we'll set up a whole thing. By all means, by all means. So see, I don't only criticize the left, sometimes I criticize the right on this show, um, as well. Alright, so in terms of, uh, political topics, I think I've pretty much exhausted the whole, uh, you know, free speech thing to death. That's kind of the moral is that, you know, well, all free speech, uh, is protected under the, under the law and under the Constitution. Not all free speech is equal in the marketplace of ideas. That's the bottom line. Alright, so, uh, that kind of covered the political segment of tonight's show. Um, now moving over to pop culture because one of the things I, g I got for feedback is that people really enjoy kind of when I do like a 50-50 of political uh, commentary and, uh, you know, pop culture stuff since that's my other big thing. So, uh, last night I went and saw... Uh, Solo, a Star Wars story, which is the, uh, the latest entry in the Star Wars saga. Don't worry, I'm, I'm not going to post, uh, I'm not going to be talking about spoilers in this video, uh, for the movie. I will be posting a video, uh, probably later this week, which does contain spoilers, if any of you are interested in, in that. I'll be posting that to my Patreon uh, probably, uh, but overall, I, I do want to talk about Star Wars and Lucasfilm and just kind of my thoughts on the movie industry in, in general and what's, what they're doing right and what, what they're doing wrong. Um, so a little bit of background for those who don't know, I've been a Star Wars fan pretty much since I was uh, five years old. I grew up with the, uh, original trilogy first. I went and saw, uh, episode one when I was, like, five. That was the first Star Wars I, I saw in theaters. Uh, you know, saw the prequel, uh, movies in theaters and their subsequent DVD releases. Um, and then I grew up with the uh, expanded universe, the the comic books, the uh, the video games, and the cartoons, and all that stuff that came out afterwards. Um, all of that stuff was was fun. Um, and I I will say at first I was worried about Disney, um, you know, buying the franchise. But then once they took it over, I was like, well. Uh, you know, let's wait and see what they, what they do with this, um, and honestly, folks, in terms of how Disney has handled Lucasfilm and the whole Star Wars franchise, let's just get down to brass tacks. I really liked The Force Awaken, Awakens Episode 7. I thought it was a really good, uh, reboot of the, of the franchise, um, Rogue One, which was the first of the spin-off movies, was, uh, pretty good. 
Last Last Jedi, which is the movie that everyone hates, uh, you know, and rightly so, it does have some issues. I will say this: uh, I don't absolutely, I don't hate the Last Jedi like some people do. Like it, it didn't ruin my childhood. It's not that bad, like some people are saying. But it was, uh, you know, it it wasn't the worst one for me. The worst Star Wars movie, in my opinion, is Attack of the Clones. Uh, but I would say that Last Jedi was only like a hair a hair above. So you know, it's still pretty bad, but it didn't ruin things for me. Uh, and then I would actually say, here's the one thing I will say about Solo, and I I mentioned this on Periscope last night. If any of you watched this. Um, I thought Solo was enjoyable. I thought, uh, for a movie that nobody really asked for, uh, and for no one to really be made, and the fact that there were so many reshoots in this movie, um, and the fact that they changed directors, I thought they did a really good job. Um, I also know that, that everyone was really worried about, um, Kind of the the new the new kid, so to speak, who was uh, playing Han Solo, Han Solo, uh, Alan Aldenreich. And uh, let me just say this without giving away any spoilers to the movie: he did a pretty damn good job, considering that he had to f- to uh, step into the role of Harrison Ford's uh, boots. Uh, for Star Wars. Obviously, I don't think anyone is going to ever replace uh, Harrison Ford in that role. It's uh, it's iconic. And Harrison Ford will always be um, Han Solo, in my mind. Uh, with that being said, the fact that this guy pretty much had to, to you know, step into the role of Han Solo and, and fill those boots... He did a really uh, good job, a, a damn good job, considering. Um, and, you know, to kind of further, further expound on that, one of the big complaints, is, you know, from a lot of hardcore uh, fanboys, one of the big criticisms I've heard of this movie is, well, it's, it's just not Harrison Ford. And, uh, you know, it's like, well, duh, obviously it's not. Uh, Harrison Ford is, like, 73 years old at this point, I think. It's going to be hard, you know, to find, like, an, a, to find someone who fits his role perfectly. But all, all I would say in regards to him is, as long as you keep in mind that this isn't Harrison Ford and you're trying not to compare him too much, Harrison Ford, um, and look at this guy's performance on his own, um, I think you'll be pretty impressed. So for those of you who, who, uh, if, if you, let me put it this way, if you like Star Wars and, uh, but you kind of an iffy on it, I would go see it and give it, give it a chance. It's, uh, I would say it's a lot better than Last Jedi, uh, for sure, and, um, you know, as a movie on its own, it stands up pretty well, too, um, 
if you just can't get beyond the fact that someone else is playing Han Solo, if that if that's too much of a of an issue for you, then uh, you know you don't have to go see it. It's as simple as that. If it if it's too painful, you know, for you to sit through, then obviously don't do that. But then also, please don't bitch and moan online about how you know they made a solo movie because because that's kind of stupid. Uh, now, how do I feel about Lucas Film and Disney taking over you know the the Star Wars franchise overall? Well, I mean, on the one hand, I think that, you know, I, I am glad that they are making new Star Wars movies. Uh, I think it is great. However, I think the big problem with why The Last Jedi failed and why this, why Solo is getting so much mixed reaction among fans, this isn't even so much a, a, a Star Wars problem within a, in, in, a, in and of itself as it is a Marvel problem, in my opinion, uh, or a Disney problem overall. One of the things that Disney has done, which drives me crazy, and they do it with the Marvel movies, is the fact that they're pumping out movies, at least in the Star Wars universe, every year now. Or in the case of, you know, The Last Jedi and Solo, every six months, okay? And with the Marvel films, they're doing Marvel films releasing two or three, two or three films per year. And I think one of Disney's big problems is that in terms of movies, they're pumping out too much content. And people are starting to get bogged. Down and th this is a big problem I have with the Marvel films too. They're pumping out too many, and I I think that they're going for quantity over quality. They're they're just they're they're looking to make a big cash grab, right? Which is a, which is the goal of every movie, but in the process, I think they're really starting to lose, you know, their their storytelling power, which is what Disney at one point was no was known for. Okay, and I, I was thinking about this last night as I was actually writing out kind of some cliff notes for the show on my phone. Okay, Disney is, like I said, with Marvel and with Star Wars, they're putting out too many movies. And I think the public public is getting too many I, I think I think the public is you know, getting superhero and Star Wars overload, to be honest. And I I think that's going to be their downfall in the in the long run. You know, people are saying that Disney is going to be uh people are saying that Disney is invincible and there's no you know, there's no big way to stop them and it's like, yeah, that's not true. Uh Disney's, you know, biggest potential, you know, downfall is ironically Disney. Uh, they're going to be the leaders of their own downfall. And think of it this way, right? Think back to 2008 when the Dark when the Dark Knight came out, and when the whole Dark Knight trilogy came out, right? 
I and I know I know those are completely completely different studios and completely different franchises. But the reason why movies like Batman Begins and The Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises are so revered now, as far as movies go, was because in each case, those movies were well paced. They had really good. They had really good writers with them, but there were also like four or five years in between um, those movies too, right? Batman Begins came out in two thousand five. You know, we got we got the lead up to the to the Joker. That movie came out in two thousand eight. There was a good bit of space and time between those movies and it really paid off with the dark knight uh so much so that the dark knight is now considered pretty much one of the greatest uh superhero movies if not the greatest superhero movies of all time then uh you know then there were then there was like four years in in between uh, the Dark Knight and The Dark Knight Rises, which wasn't as good as The Dark Knight, but, but still, overall, I think, you know, The Dark Knight Rises was, was pretty good, too. Uh, that was how superhero movies used to be. Like, even when Marvel started doing the whole Marvel su- Cinematic Universe with Iron Man, um, when it first, when they first started that in 2008, they were initially, like, making movies every two to three years. At the beginning, they were pacing themselves fairly well. Um, to where they were only putting it, like, you know, movies, like, every two years. And every every th- three years. Then, uh, then once Disney started putting out movies... Every other year in the Marvel Cin- Cinematic Universe, uh, it was kind of like, oh, okay, well, uh, this is interesting. Hope it pans out. Then they started putting out movies every two to three years, and uh, now we're kind of in the bind that we're in now. I-, I think they're just they're doing too much, and I th- I think they they could put um, I think they could still make a ton of money and put out better stories potentially. Um, if they just slowed their roll down on, uh, you know, on the Marvel movies, I think that's even more important for Star, for Star Wars too. Uh, because when I was growing up with the prequel trilogies, those movies were made five, six years apart. Um, and, uh, yeah, yes, yes, Neri, yes, DJ Neri, we, we all, we all know. We all know that we all know that you're uh that you're that you're the WAP that you're the WAP Batman. So uh we 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 all we all know that you're you you actually you actually you actually do kind of have like the the billionaire playboy uh you know persona of Bruce Wayne, which that would really kind of be that would that would really be funny. Like what a what if we, what if we all, like, we all know in the danger zone, we all know John as, uh, you know, like a really friendly and, you know, funny and upbeat guy. 
but then, you know, what if he ha what if he has like a really, you know, dark side within him where he just goes out at night and beats the crap out of criminals in, in Syracuse or in uh you know, or goes down to Manhattan. Uh, that that would kind of be even more funny, or if he, or if he went like a shade darker and went full on uh, Punisher. Uh, anyway, uh, pardon my ADD. As I was saying, if all these franchises just like stop making movies, like every six months or so, I I think that people would be a lot less, uh, you know, tired of them. But with that being said, I thought Solo was pretty good, uh, so go and see that, and, uh, you know, that, that's my only other concern, is that Lucasfilm is going to, you know, make crap, uh, prequel movies, uh, and crap, uh, you know, trilogy movies, but then they're going to rely on these spin-off movies to kind of, you know, that's where they're going to, to shift their focus on story. And, uh, you know, that's my concern. What I want them to do is just take their time and make good movies overall. We don't need five or six movies. Um, we don't need five or six movies overall uh, coming out a year. We just need good movies, period, even if it takes, like, uh, two or three years. TV is different, uh, though, too. Someone, someone in the, someone in the comments was just mentioning TV, I think. Or maybe that was on Twitter. Um, TV is a completely different ball game. Uh, because you can tell stories, uh, you know, over, uh, you know, over the course of, like, several episodes with, within a season. So in terms of, uh, you know, the, the Marvel Netflix TV shows and just, you know, shows like Breaking Bad and ones that are telling stories in kind of a long form, form, uh, format, I think that's working out great, folks. Uh, especially since like with, with streaming services like Netflix and whatnot, like I said at the beginning of the program, I don't have, you know, cable. I just, we have a big internet pipe and we stream everything, you know, which, which is nice too. I, I guess, I guess the other thing for me too is I would rather stream stuff at home and, uh, be able to make my own popcorn and get my own soft drinks and everything like that. Um, yeah, because, uh, like, like most of you when it comes to stuff, I, I'm, I'm lazy and I like to, uh, you know, watch my stuff and listen to my stuff on my own time, which is also why I love podcasts and, uh, you know, live streams. And even though this is fun live streaming, I, I love the fact that anyone can watch this on demand or listen to on demand. I think that's great. Uh, so that's kind of my little rant on the whole movie industry, uh, um, you know, as a whole subject and, uh, yeah, I think I think that was pretty good. I'm like I said, I'm going to be uh doing much more pop culture stuff uh in future episodes, you know, doing the whole 50/50 thing plus uh, you know, I'm going to have more guests. But uh I I may do the at some point when I have enough time once I'm out of uh school officially, 
I'd like to do the podcast uh, twice a week. And in the summer, who knows? I might do that, but I, I, I want to stay consistent, too. So I don't want to have episodes twice a week, but then have to, um, you know, go back to doing once a week um, when I'm in school. Because that's probably what I would have to do um, at this point. So I would rather just do one episode per week year-round. Maybe do, like, a bonus episode, uh, you know, announce the day of. But anyway, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, so that's the show. Um, I do want to make a couple quick announcements now that we have, you know, some people here speaking of guests. Um, coming the week of June 11th, uh, I'm not sure if it's, if June 11th is a, it's a Monday, um, but that week I'm going to be, uh, interviewing, uh, Christian Blatt, who, uh, is the co-host of the Dennis Miller Option, uh, and he was the producer of Dennis Miller's radio show for eight years, uh, when Dennis Miller was on, on Terrestrial Radio, plus he has his own podcast, uh, called The Black Cast, uh, which is really good. It's not, he doesn't do live streaming like we do, um... But he does a really good show. It's not so much about politics as much of it as it is like a, a pop culture-centered nerd podcast. But he also does, like I said, lots of political stuff with Dennis Miller. And, uh, you know, he's kind of... I've never met him in, in person. I, I, I guess you could say kind of like uh, The Danger Zone. He's kind of become like a personal uh, internet friend of mine. And uh, he's a cool cat and... Uh, so I'm going to be talking with him because Dennis Miller just launched his podcast, and so I wanted to give the, him the opportunity to speak a little bit about that and uh, about his past uh, working relationship since people have been asking me to get him on the podcast for that anyway. And uh, so that's going to be happening on the show the week of June 11th, and it will be... Uh, I'm going to be pre-recording that and then airing that on the Saturdays, uh, so be on the lookout for that. I'll have that episode planned, and I'll have that tweet out, tweeted out a whole bunch, so be on the lookout for that. And uh, I'm planning on uh, having a few more people on from the uh, college Republicans. I had Ryan on. I'm going to try and get uh, Ariana Rellins from the uh the California College Republicans on as well. So uh you know, plus maybe a few surprise guests, um, too that I'm working on. So uh I do have guests in the works, but I'm also going to be doing these uh, you know, solo shows uh too uh during the summer. So it's it's going to be pretty good and uh you know, happy June everyone. So I want to thank you for uh, watching and and or listening, if you're listening on the audio podcast lately. Uh, don't forget to like, uh, subscribe, and share this. We're, uh, like I said, we're still at 80 subscribers, and I only need 20 more to, uh, to get, like, a URL. So tell your friends to subscribe to this uh, you, YouTube 
YouTube channel, and, uh, let's, let's get this up to, uh, to a hundred, uh, you know, if, uh, if, if people can get to a hundred, a hundred simply by making, uh, you know, knockout videos and, and whatnot, then for sure, uh, you know, commentary videos like mine can, mine can get to a hundred. Also, don't forget to, uh, Write, you know, comment and subscribe on iTunes and subscribe to the Auto Podcast. That's another uh, important way you can subscribe to the show. And if you would be willing to, to to support the show financially, you can also go to patreon.com forward slash Whitfield Report. The link to that is in the description. And uh, you can support the show for as little as a dollar a month, uh, too. So, uh... You know, thank you all for watching so very much. And, uh, hey, Dax, uh, sorry you missed the show. It will be, uh, on demand. And, of course, you can subscribe on iTunes as well. So, and then, folks, I'll be, uh, back next week for another show and another guest, maybe. Uh, just depending on, you know, how things go. Uh, until next time, uh, good night. God bless and God save this great nation. And uh, be sure to subscribe to the Danger Zone as well. Because I know they've got a good stream going over there as well. Alright folks, uh, God bless and God save this great nation. I'll see you next week on the Whitfield Report.